Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a podcast about YA literature, their filmic adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And this week we're talking about To All the Boys I've Loved Before. This is, let's see, the 2014 YA novel by Jenny Han and the 2018 film directed by Susan Johnson. And can I just say that after all the feelings from the first two weeks of doing this podcast, I was so happy to read and watch something just fluffy and lovely and fun. Yeah, it's always nice when you can have something that's just a touch romantic. Yes, and just it was just pleasant, Joe. It was really pleasant. After first so much abuse and then all of the zombies, I was very ready for it to be a very pleasant week. So I was thrilled. And this is why we change up the topics on a weekly basis, right? We yes. don't want zombies every week. Some of us don't want zombies any week, but you know. <laughs> it's fair. I'll accept that. <laughs> so Brenna, what, what do you have to share this week? What have you been up to? Okay, so I have two things. Uh, One is a carryover from last week, which is that as of the date of recording for this podcast, the dumpling trailer's been released, and it's so so good. good. (laughs) It's so good. I think I tweeted it at you immediately after I saw it. It's so good. It's just, it's perfect. The tone of it is perfect to the novel, and I'm so excited that it's coming out so soon. Like... I just, I said this last week, but I feel like I just found out the adaptation was happening and then bam, Netflix is delivering it to my living room. I it's love in living in the future. It's amazing. So that's my first thing is that if anybody's listening and hasn't checked out the trailer for Dumplin' yet, it's totally great and you should go and watch it right now. Just like, in fact, stop listening to us and go on, go and watch the Dumplin' trailer and then come back. Yeah, come back. <laughs> just, yeah, oh yeah, definitely come back because it's just charming and lovely and honestly jennifer aniston surprised me in a really Big positive surprise. way mm-hmm. yeah i think she i think she's taking on the mom role uh awesomely so that's my little quick one and then the other thing is i'm late to this party but my copy of children of blood and bone just came in on my hold list have you heard about this one joe this title sounds super familiar and i can't place it it's uh, written by a Nigerian-American novelist, uh, Tomi Adeyemi, and it's a fantasy YA novel, but set in Africa. Oh. Yeah. And so it's been a huge hit, really. I mean, like, I really am the last person to remember to pick it up, but it's really supposed to be amazing. It's epic in scope, and it just approaches the notion of YA fantasy from a completely non-North American European perspective, which it's not a first, but I think it's a first for that to hit in YA in a big way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, I'm excited. I've been avoiding the really long books lately on account of like work and toddlerness. And this is like solid 500 page commitment, but I'm pretty excited about it. One of the quotes at AME, it says, she thinks about how, You know, there's this huge, rich history of the gods and goddesses of Africa, and yet they never appear in Western fantasy fiction. So, yeah, she's addressing that. Apparently, there's a whole sort of Black Lives Matter sub-theme connection going on, too, springing into the present. So I'm just pretty excited for everything this book has to offer me. So Children of Blood and Bone, if you haven't heard of it yet or picked it up, I'm going to be reading it next couple of weeks, and I'm looking forward to it. That sounds really cool. And... Just thinking about your description, it sounds loaded with all kinds of interesting ideas that, 
you know, I'm rocking my brain. I can't think of anything that approaches that, even in adult fiction, dare I say? Yeah, I know. It's definitely, I mean, fantasy is so white, right? Like, as a genre, and you think about how Tolkien can conceive of a world that has orcs and whatever Gollum is, and (laughs) not like people of color or women who talk. So I'm really excited to see someone take a stab at this from a different perspective. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Okay, so keep us abreast as to how that develops and what your thoughts are. I will. And you know, I haven't heard anything about a film adaptation, but I it's a it's a fantasy trilogy that's really popular. So I would be shocked if a film adaptation is not in the works. So I'll look into that too, as I'm reading. Okay, yes. I'm sort of in the same boat. So I was looking around on my Goodreads list, and I noticed that we're coming to the end of the year, and as a result, people are starting to publish lists, and Goodreads are doing the nominations for their end-of-year awards. Oh, yeah. Which are always interesting to me because they're very populist, but at the same time, it gives you an idea about what people are actually reading. So it's not always indicative of the best quality per se. I mean, it's not to say that it isn't, but it does reflect what's happening in the zeitgeist and what people are responding to. And, you know, people are using their activism to vote about the kinds of things that they want to see recognized. So it's always interesting in that regard. Totally. And it's an issue that Goodreads has run into in numerous times in the past of just how white those recommendations often end up being. And I know they've spent a lot of energy trying to make writers of color more visible on the site so that people's reading becomes a little bit more diverse naturally. Which is actually exactly where I'm going with this because so I popped into the YA section. They've actually got it divided between YA traditional. I'm making hand motions that you can't see. (laughs) And then they've got a, a science fiction and fantasy section. And I feel as though I'm more familiar with some of those fantasy pieces or they're more of a kin. And I'm very unfamiliar with the more traditional relationship coming of age so on Mm -hmm. so I decided to look at that and just get a sense of like what's shaken in that area so I ended up pulling a bunch of different titles out and adding them to my library list and I'm just going to highlight a couple of them because I thought they were really interesting so one is called Love Hate and Other Filters and it's a coming of age film that sounds quite generic until you take a look at who the author is and who the main character is and it's a Muslim teenager I've read it it's so good is it? Okay, yes. <laughs> good, because I looked at it and I thought, this sounds really good. It's got a road trip. I love a YA road trip. <laughs> oh, I love a road trip, too. <laughs> okay, we should try to do a road trip on one of these Yeah, 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 yeah. And the other one is a book called Let's Talk About Love by Claire Can. Oh, I don't know this one. So it's a black high school girl, and she identifies as asexual until she meets somebody who gives her feelings, but she's not sure whether they're romantic or friendship. Whoa. I just feel Twitter getting mad about this book already, which makes me intrigued. Let me read (laughs) the background. So it says, Recently dumped, Alice Whitney prepares for a not-so-great summer. She's working at her local library and living with her best friend Feeny and Feeny's boyfriend Ryan. Then she meets Takumi, and he totally breaks Alice's cutie code, her internal barometer for how cute someone is. Takumi leaves her tongue-tied and flustered. Alice thinks she's sexually attracted to Takumi, which is momentous because Alice identifies as asexual. She's never felt sexually attracted to anyone before. It's why her ex-girlfriend dumped her. 
Okay. So I'm intrigued. They're both in contention for Realist YA Goodreads of the Year awards. It's interesting. The reason I brought up Twitter is because Julie Murphy's book after Dumplin was a book called Ramona Blue. And Julie Murphy herself is bisexual. And in Ramona Blue, the character has sort of this complicated feeling about her own sexuality and like she's trying to figure out whether she's bisexual or a lesbian and twitter was so mad because there was this perception in ya twitter that by showing that struggle murphy was erasing bisexuality by allowing her character to have like these questions about it because you know twitter's not great with the black and white and shades of gray hey so um i'm just i'd be interested to know if there were similar anger in the asexual community about this book because i thought ramona Blue handled those questions really beautifully, and I was super surprised when there was a lot of contention about it. So, anyway, that's a apropos of nothing, except that I'm always curious about what Twitter has to say. Perhaps we can segue into today's discussion on To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Yay! So, talk to us about the book. What's okay. the book about? So, To All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han is a pretty typical coming of age realist YA novel with a love story. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's pretty standard fare for YA. What makes it different is that the main character and her family are Korean-American. The love story centers around the fact that our main character, Lara Jean, she's sort of afraid of life. She lives in this fantasy world that she's constructed for herself where she doesn't have to actually deal with the messy parts of life. So her social world is really confined to her two sisters. She's the middle sister. Their mom passed away when they were small, and so they have a really tight bond with each other and with their dad. And she sort of avoids the messiness of teenagehood at high school by kind of hiding out in her head. So she gets these crushes on boys, and rather than ever acting on it, she she writes a letter to get all of her feelings out and move on. So there are five boys to whom she has written these letters, and right at the beginning of the novel, we find out that most troublingly for Lara Jean, one of the boys is her sister's boyfriend. And the other boy is a boy she goes to high school with, who sort of runs with a different crowd, is kind of seen as player. I was going to say he's a sports guy, Joe. He's an athlete. (laughs) So he runs with the athletic clique, uh, which is obviously really alien to her based on her homebody status. And so right at the beginning of the novel, the big conflict that emerges is her sister goes away to university far away in Scotland. And Lara Jean is left as the eldest at home to take care of all the things her hyper-competent sister Margot has always been responsible for. And she feels overwhelmed enough by the task of stepping into Margot's shoes. And then at school one day, she finds out that the letters have been leaked. Someone has mailed her secret letters. Who could they have come from? Who knows? (laughs) And so over the course of the narrative, obviously you find out that it's her little sister who has leaked the letters, who has mailed them off as an attempt to kind of help her sister find a real life. So that's the narrative arc and she has to deal with the fallout. The boy she really likes, her sister's ex-boyfriend, she doesn't want him to take the letter seriously, and she's worried about the implications for her relationship with her own sister. So she and this athlete boy, Peter, they decide to fake being in a relationship. Peter has recently broken up with, like, the worst girl in the world, Joe, I think. I don't know what you feel about Genevieve, but I think she's the worst girl in the world. She's not my favorite. Um, So Peter has just broken up with Jen. 
And Laura Jean obviously wants to sort of save face in front of Josh. That's Margot's ex-boyfriend. And so they agree to fake date. Shockingly, they develop feelings for each other. (laughs) And the novel is sort of the unraveling of those feelings. What I like about the novel is that obviously the love stories are central, but I actually think the most really important relationship in the book is the relationship that the three sisters share. A hundred percent. I found that really refreshing in a YA novel. You know, uh, often siblings are either points of conflict uh, or dead, (laughs) or the books are about only children, right? Because we want to focus on one character and one character's story. So seeing how the three sisters navigate the world together as this sort of unit since the death of their mother, I think was really, I found actually the most powerful emotional arc in the novel was definitely the relationship between the sisters and particularly between Lara Jean and Margot. Yeah, I'll agree. I'll also confess in advance, I had a few problems with the book. I don't know that it's as successful as the film. Oh, interesting, because I feel the opposite. Okay, good. Conflict. Yes, (laughs) we've got got more to talk about than we thought. (laughs) I will agree with you, though, that the book does a really good job of prioritizing Lara Jean's family, she thinks that she has to be Margot's replacement as the female figurehead of the family. And it seems to me that that just immediately does not work for her. She's not Mm -hmm. prepared to assume that role. And in a way, it's also suggested over the course of the book that Margot actually shouldn't have been doing some of the things that she was doing. And that comes... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Margot gets parentalized so young, right? And part of it is, like, she clearly has the kind of personality that is going to organize the world. Mm -hmm. But part of it is that their dad retreats from the world after the death of his wife. And Margot kind of has to step into the mothering role for their youngest sister, Kitty, in a way that's... And I I don't mean this to say there's anything going on that's, like, untoward, because there's not. But it is inappropriate for her to be stepping into a parental role like that. Yeah, she's asked to assume way more responsibility than she should be. And the book does a good job of reinforcing that the father has withdrawn. You know, it comes out more towards the end of the book where the grandmother, who's a bit of an absent figure herself, Mm -hmm. really just pops up a couple of times, begins to encourage him that he should be dating again and that the question of a new woman or a new mother figure coming in could could actually be valuable to all players concerned. Mm -hmm. We should probably mention that this is the first of a trilogy. And when we talk about the film, we'll see the film, I think, borrows a little from the second book because uh, one of the things I really like about this book is that it's very open-ended at the end. Um, Mm -hmm. The love story is not tied off particularly neatly. Uh, It's certainly not like you would expect typically from a YA romance. So there there are sequels, P.S. I Still Love You was published in 2015 and Always and Forever, Lara Jean in 2017. So obviously they are continuing on this letter motif. I haven't read the next two, but I do have them on hold at the library now. That's how much I like the first one. Ooh, okay. (laughs) So returning to Lara Jean's place in the family, I really enjoyed a lot of those scenes in the book some of them that ended up being excised completely from the film Mm -hmm. but things like the christmas spat and the cookie discussion Mm -hmm. and those Mm -hmm. kinds of things i felt like they're not just heartwarming but they you're right that i think they do feel absent from a lot of other books of this ilk because the family dynamic is deprioritized because it doesn't have the same kind of conflict to it 
Yeah, I think so too. And I think paradoxically, by focusing on the family dynamic in the book, we get a better sense of why it is that Peter is right for Lara Jean. Like, I started off the book expecting that I was going to be rooting for the relationship with Josh. Me too. And then you sort of realize halfway through that no, because Peter is A, someone who takes her out of this insular world of the family which josh does not take her out of that world like he's not at all he's trying to like climb into their dead mom's uterus like that he he wants to be one of these kids so badly like does he have parents (laughs) i'm just saying um so peter uh, takes her out of the family dynamic that is no i mean it's loving and it's kind and it's warm but it's also stultifying like she she cannot grow within the dynamic with the family as it as it is mm-hmm. so peter takes her out of that and also through her interactions with peter we see her real character growth which her dad is savvy enough to recognize and keep pointing out for the entire second half of the novel hey you leave the house when that guy peter's around i like him <laughs> you do things like a normal teenager <laughs> yeah you should keep doing that and it's one thing I think I like about the dad's character, although he's not particularly fleshed out because it is a YA book and typically nobody wants to hear from the parents. But I do think that we see him through Lara Jean's struggles to try to fill Margot's shoes. I think that is like a wake up call for the dad to recognize that he has handled this poorly and that these girls need to have a real youth and childhood. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of stuff that, as much as I like it, I do sometimes struggle with how much time is allocated to certain types of storylines and interactions. Mm, I can see that. And that, to me, was actually the biggest issue that I had with the book. I really enjoyed the sections that were dedicated to the family and obviously were meant to invest in the peter Jean relationship, but it so often felt that there was a tension between the two, so you couldn't get too invested in one because then you had to break away and go to the other one. Mm. And the book really dedicates a lot more time and energy to the romantic triangle. So Josh seems like a much more viable romantic candidate in the book, and it feels almost like Jenny Han didn't have quite a good grasp of how she wanted that section to unfold Mm. or maybe it's so well written because we're so in Lara Jean's head that it really does seem like Peter is the mistake for a Mm. good third of the book and then all of a sudden you're like oh wait no this is one of those opposites attract I mean I've seen enough screwball romantic comedies to know that (laughs) the people who fight are the ones who end up together but Josh kept getting reintroduced as the sympathetic figure. And I, I was like, why are we playing up this emotional connection if he's not the right partner? I don't think Laura Jean knows. I think it takes her until those final scenes once Margot is home to realize that, oh, wait, like Peter is actually the better choice for her. Mm-hmm. There is a concrete moment in the book where she realizes that it's not Josh and that it probably never was Josh, that her feelings for Josh are as wrapped up in her feelings for the closeness with her sister and the bond the sisters share as anything else. Mm -hmm. But that moment comes like, yeah, you're right, like a solid two thirds, three quarters into the book. And I think the reason that it worked for me is because the family dynamic was so much more interesting (laughs) that I was way less invested in who she was going to kiss than I normally am when I read a YA romance. Mm -hmm. So I 
And I kind of liked Peter from the beginning in a way that surprised me, because although I was definitely rooting for Josh, I didn't like Dawson Leary hate um, <laughs> um, Peter the way I normally do when I'm rooting for one against the other. And so, I don't know, I feel like as a reader, I came to appreciate Peter alongside Lara Jean, if that makes sense. I think it does. I got pretty invested. I found Peter to be a likable character in both the book and the film. I can't even say it's a different variation of that familiar archetype because in a lot of ways he's the character as written and as played really fits the bill in terms of sport jock who secretly has an emotional weight to him that he can't reveal to anybody else except for our protagonist that makes them a good match. I don't know. There's something about the character that just works. It gels. Yeah, and I do think, I think the casting was really good there. I wasn't sold on it when they first announced. I didn't even know the film at all. I just, I don't love that guy. But I think he worked really well in the character. He has a good balance of that desire to be liked that is so important to understanding Peter's character and the way he interacts with his friends and a genuineness like those two things don't usually come together in young YA protagonists it's usually sort of one or the other and he has a good balance and maybe before we go any further since we're now starting to get into the film so let's check out the trailer for netflix's adaptation 2018 of to all the boys i've loved before junior year can hardly believe it thanks dad we need to talk about your sexual health. No, no, please no. I want you to be safe. Dad, why are you giving me these? Don't forget to have fun. Yes, well, I have a lot of rubbers for that, specifically. I think you should branch out, make some new friends. Nope. You never know what could happen. That's what I'm afraid of. My letters are my most secret possessions. I write them when I have a crush so intense, I don't know what else to do. There are five total. Peter, the most popular guy in school, Kenny from camp, Lucas from homecoming, John Ambrose from Model UN, and Josh, but he's my sister's boyfriend. What are you doing? Nothing. Nobody else knows about them. Okay, so this is written by a woman, Sofia Alvarez, and it's directed by a woman, Susan Johnson, and the film... I'll admit I didn't know any of these people except for John Corbett before I started watching. I was so happy to see him. I never remember his real name. I just think of him as the man who was so badly treated by Sex in the City. Yep, Aiden. <laughs> My God, why did she ever leave him for big? It makes no sense. Anyway, doesn't matter. Not the same character, but I feel such an affection for him because of that. <laughs> Naturally, yeah. How can you not sympathize with the jilted lover who is so good? So good, and Mr. Big's so awful. Anyway. Anyway. So from what I've gathered, lead actress Lana Condor is a relative newcomer, although it could just be Hollywood's tendency to not have a great diversity of roles for mm-hmm. people of color. And then the the actor that you were talking about, who's apparently the big deal as a result of this film now, is Noah Centineo. And I had to look that up before so that I could pronounce it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I know him because I watched all of The Fosters, because of course I did. Oh it is a very on-brand television program for me, Joe, as I think you'll agree. And he replaced uh, one of the main characters, Jesus, in season three of that show. So I knew him from 
that context. Okay. And then the other half of the romantic triangle is Israel Broussard plays Josh, and then Margot is played by Janelle Parrish, and rounding out the song sisters is anna cathcart as kitty mm-hmm. who i found to be the weakest link oh my god i'm so glad you said that i hated what they did to kitty in the movie what was the distinction between the two kitties to you so in the book kitty is a younger sister for sure but she's i don't know i i think she has a a rounded character she's not annoying i didn't find her annoying in the book anyway you know like she she pokes at her sisters and she's she plays the youngest role pretty perfectly but she's not grating or cloying and the other thing is that the reason kitty sends the letters in the book is it's out of spite she's very angry at laura mm-hmm. jean when she decides to do it so laura jean is teasing her about this dog that she wants and teasing her that she's going to name it after the boy she has a crush on who p.s is also josh yeah. and um, and she thinks that Lara Jean is going to tell Josh. It's like in a fit of, of peak and spite and anger that she does it. So, you know, while it's still like she shouldn't have done it, she has a motivation to do it. Whereas in the movie, it's just like, A, she knew about the letters with like no backstory. And then B, she just like mails them to be a bitch. I don't know. I just, I felt like her character didn't have any motivation for doing anything in the film version. I agree completely. It feels as though they took the kind of reaction that you would expect to see from Margot or the father and then transplanted it onto Kitty just for continuity between the book and the film, but with absolutely no foundation. So for her to say, oh, well, I thought, you know, these letters would help you to get out or break out of your shell, that makes no sense (laughs) to come from a little kid. It was based on literally nothing. So frustrating. I think we've probably done well to have come this far before we've encountered a child actor that doesn't hit all the marks. And and to be clear, I don't think that Cathcart does a terrible job, but it was a maybe a 50-50 split for me. Half the time I thought she was okay, and the other half I was like, somebody get the hook. I definitely think it had a lot more to do with the way that character got written for the film than her as a performer. I think she's Canadian, actually, because she's been in a bunch of like kids' TVO shows and stuff. And she definitely has that kind of Disney Channel gloss to her demeanor. But I think a lot of the problems are just in the way her character got written for the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's in the Descendants movies from the Disney Channel. Okay. Which no one should know anything about. <laughs> the reason why I like the book more is because I feel like Kitty is just one example of the way in which the relationship between the sisters gets total short shrift in yes. the adaptation. Like... So the other plot line that gets dropped from the film that I think is important is Laura Jean has a lot of hangups about sex and about mm-hmm. intimacy with boys and what that means. And she and her sister have this pact that they're not going to have sex until they are married or 21 or really, really in love. That's sort of the deal that they make. Yeah, which is so YA. It's so YA. And Laura Jean believes that her sister has gone off to university a virgin and then she finds this letter when she's rooting around in her sister's things which fair that um says that it's josh saying i know the reason you broke up with me is because we had sex and it freaked you out and like i want to talk about it and Lara Jean just can't even process that and this disconnect and anxiety around sexuality for Lara Jean and her sense that she's lost 
this connection to her sister that's compounded by the distance and compounded by her own inability to tell her like that the relationship with Peter is fake and all of this stuff. I really felt like that was just barely in the movie at all. So that when when Margot is like, why did you never Skype with me? I was like, oh yeah, why did you never Skype with her in the movie? Like it doesn't, we don't really have a reason for that at all. No, I mean the the idea that Larging can't address things with Margot because she's so deeply concerned about the fact that Josh got the letter doesn't work for me in either text. Mm -hmm. It seems like the flimsiest of excuse when the whole idea of the sister's relationship is that they are so open, but it works much better in the book because you discover that, of course, despite their closeness, they've still kept things from each other because that's what all human beings do. No one tells mm-hmm. everybody everything. Well, that's the thing. And, and I think part of the keeping of the secret of the the letters is like, that's her private thing. But she somehow doesn't have, I mean, she's 16. She doesn't have the emotional maturity to know that other people also have secret things. Like if you have mm-hmm. a secret thing, so does somebody else, right? And so the betrayal that she feels over that is very age appropriate. But yeah, I just felt like that was to me the most interesting and unique thing about the book was this beautiful bond between these sisters you know that was women's friendship being explored in a way that is so rarely explored in YA because it always plays second fiddle to the romance and so when the film turned around and made the sisters relationship play second fiddle to the romance I was like ah hell I can completely understand why we have these differences of opinion because I'm not as well versed in YA literature as you are so although I know a lot of the tropes I haven't experience them ad nauseum whereas <laughs> when i watched the film it actually felt like a very strong adaptation in the way that it was efficient at streamlining the things that needed to be included in there for cinematic purposes so right. obviously the love affair or the love relationship was going to be in there but i was actually really happy with the fact that in the film josh is not a realistic romantic partner and in fact disappears from the film for huge stretches at a time yeah thank god so it's really about her and peter but you are absolutely right though that the family does end up getting subsumed by the relationship and it becomes a much more traditional romance as a result mm-hmm. yeah which i mean and it's not bad at that like it's good as a great pleasure to watch and i enjoyed it but i felt like what it lost was what made the book special and interesting. I can see that. And to me, I was a little pleased with it, if only because I did feel that at times the book meandered. I think that's fair. I mean, it's almost 400 page realist YA. That's not common. I appreciated the fact that we actually had a couple of extra days to read (laughs) this one because I (laughs) needed them at times. When I was reading it through, I looked at it and said, There's a lot of really good stuff here, but to me, this was the first one that really felt like it just needed a tighter hand in the editing to get it Mm -hmm. down. But some of the things that I did appreciate then about the adaptation, and I'm going to open this can of worms as even as I'm looking at the time and thinking, okay, we've (laughs) got to keep control on this. We can't do an episode that has a person of color author and person of color in a romantic storyline in YA literature, which is exceptionally rare still. To be honest, if we're thinking about filmic adaptations, even more rare. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I do think we need to tackle the issue of representation and stereotypes. I think so too. One thing that I thought was a shame, the book does not 
talk about identity all that much, really. But there's a really beautiful moment in the book where one of the boys who Lara Jean has sent a letter to uh, is gay, and he tells her that he's gay, but he doesn't want her to spread it around because he's out to his mom, but not to his dad. And um, he, he has this comment to her, like, you know, why does everybody want to define people all the time? Like, they look at me and they want to know what my sexuality is. And he's like, I bet you get that because you're mixed race. And she's like, yeah, I do get that. And you're like, oh, do you? Because this is the first <laughs> this time you're hearing about it. literally the first time I've heard of it. <laughs> but it is a beautiful moment in the book that does feel like it comes out of nowhere because the characters seem so comfortable in Mm -hmm. their hybrid identity but i felt it was a shame that it got lost from the film because it was that only discussion it comes out to me a lot in the book in subtle ways so a lot of the references to food oh yeah that's true but it's not made a big deal of in fact the only time it's made a big deal of it is when the korean grandmother is actually coming in and as i said earlier she's really just not at all a character But those instances are particularly well used to reinforce the fact, A, we've got a dead parent, Mm -hmm. and the dead parent is the one who would, I think, more traditionally be the one pushing for some of that cultural diversity. Mm -hmm. Actually, you bringing up food reminds me of a point, another thing that I think gets lost in the film, because in the book we learn that Lara Jean's dad is white but mm-hmm. he makes an effort to cook Korean food yes. um, and in the book there's this one moment where he does it badly but like we're told about all these other Sundays where he's successfully cooked this particular Korean dish this like lettuce wrap pork mm-hmm. dish thing it sounds delicious, delicious. <laughs> I know <laughs> but and so there's this moment there's a scene where he doesn't do it successfully like it's it tastes bad and Lara Jean tries to salvage it by putting it in craft dinner and stuff through the week and it's this sort of nice moment of a recognition of her father's frailty and her father's lack of control in the situation since Margot has left but otherwise her dad has maintained the foods like not perfectly and she there are moments where she says like he doesn't do it perfectly he doesn't do it like mom said and I don't tell him but in the movie he's just like this buffoon idiot who who never cooks the Korean food properly and they always pretend to like it Mm -hmm. and I just thought that was a disappointing thing to add I get why they did it in the film it's to show that Margot kind of keeps everyone in line and she tells them all to pretend they like the taste of it even when they don't but in the book you get a sense of this father who's really trying hard to maintain the connection to culture that is lost by the loss of their mother and in the film he's just kind of an idiot about it which I think is a shame yeah it's again one of those examples where it doesn't come up often and when it does it's kind of it's used as a bit more of a punchline as opposed to representing tradition as it is in the book Mm -hmm. i think a lot of this again and i feel like i'm just going to harp on this all the time as we progress throughout this but these seem like very traditional screenwriting decisions where they're working with an economy of scale so we're talking about an hour and 40 minute movie that they're trying to pack as much in but they're not going to dedicate a bunch of space to scenes with the family eating food for sure which doesn't excuse it because I think you're absolutely right that there's a lot of things that are then getting lost. And it seems to me that there were decisions that were made in the adaptation of the book that were 
what do people gravitate to? Okay, it's the Peter and the the Laura Jean thing. Mm-hmm. And then we need these other characters to come in surreptitiously at different focal points to give the hat box back filled with Peter's notes that he's been writing. And we need Josh there to talk about, you know, maybe you have changed and maybe you are ready for love. And even Chris, whom we've not talked about at all, which oh, is right. uh, Laura Jean's best friend you know she's there for the ski trip because the ski trip is instrumental in that third act conflict where there's a misunderstanding and of course that's when the couple breaks up before they can realize that they can come back together and love each other and so on but all of these characters feel like slightly watered down versions of themselves because they just aren't as important my my biggest issue with the film is actually how little it helps us to understand Lara Jean's relationship to Margot. Because yeah. I feel like you just, you said it already that, you know, why didn't she Skype with me? Uh, I don't know. And in the <laughs> film, it literally doesn't make any sense because no. Margot is absent. She's just not in this film. You don't ever get a sense about how much Lara Jean needed her, except for the idea that she was the one who kept things together. Yeah, totally. And I think, I mean, I get why the film centers on the romance, especially given its target audience, right? And given what Netflix is trying to do in terms of developing a a teen audience who will eventually go out and buy Netflix subscriptions of their own. Mm -hmm. Um, So it all makes sense. It's just, to me, there are so many straightforward YA romances where you could make that film and you wouldn't be cutting away barely anything at all. So it's a shame to have to carve out so much really interesting nuance and so much interesting family stuff that you just normally don't have in the source material. So circling back to this idea of representation, because I didn't quite know how I felt about either. I made a very silly decision to read part of the book and then I had a free block of time so I watched the movie and then oh, I, I did had that to go too. back and finish the book and it I don't recommend that to anyone. <laughs> So there's a couple of things that I want to address rapid fire. One of them is the sort of distillation of Asian-y tropes, like the fact that she gets into a car accident the very first time she goes out for a drive. I like the fact that the film basically just got rid of that and said, you know what, she doesn't feel comfortable driving, and that's why she needs to keep getting rides from other people, and she works up the confidence at the end. Yeah, I agree. It's uncomfortable. If the book didn't have Margot as a competent driver, it would be really, 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 really bad. But I agree, that was uncomfortable. One thing that I really liked about the decision to go full steam ahead with the romantic relationship angle is the number of reviews that I saw. So when I didn't really know how I felt about it, I went in and I started reading people's responses to both the book and the film. And the number of people who identified as Asian in some capacity, and obviously Korean, there were a lot of people who were saying, it's just not only really great to see myself represented on screen or in book form as a lead character, but the fact that there is a viable romantic opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I see myself, but then I also see myself getting to fall in love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think hugely important. I mean, there's a big body of work on criticism on 
popular representations of Asian Americans, particularly as sort of like sexless, as mm-hmm. not not permitted to engage in those storylines at all, always uh, positioned as sidekicks or where there is a romantic plot line as sort of a joke, thinking all the way back to like 16 Candles as the film so acutely references itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. I think that is hugely important and that the relationship is interracial and that it that is just... There are several interracial relationships in the text, and that is just, it just is, right? Yeah, Yeah, it's not not a topic of discussion or hand-wringing in any way. Although, interestingly enough, there was then a slight margin of criticism from people who said, why can't she have an Asian boyfriend? Which is interesting, too, because the larger body of criticism about sexless Asian-American characters in Hollywood comes down to uh, Asian men. It's one of the reasons why Aziz Ansari's show was so groundbreaking. Master of None. Yeah, because creepy though he turned out to to be in some ways, that series was really important for showing an Asian-American man having sex, which Mm -hmm. if you think back to all the films you've seen in your life, you probably haven't seen that very often. Nope. Yeah, so those two pieces, and then one other final piece that I want to raise that I think the film did well, and it's the tiniest thing, but it was something that really struck me. So what I'm talking about is the hot tub scene. Oh, yeah. Obviously, the fact in the book, it's not captured on video, whereas in the movie, I think they probably do a more realistic version by having people capture the sexual encounter between Lara Jean and Peter and it goes viral which I think is probably more realistic of what would actually happen nowadays. Well that's the thing I think it's just the difference in five years between the two texts is actually huge you Mm -hmm. know yeah. But the thing that really caught my eye and this only worked because I had watched the movie and then read the book was in the book I noticed because I was looking for it it specifically says that she's sitting on the edge of the hot tub and he goes over to her and he pulls her into the water. And if you watch the movie, she makes the conscious decision to climb into the water and to get on top of him. Mm -hmm. And I thought about just how quietly groundbreaking that was, thinking about the depiction of teen sexuality, but then also the cultural background where Asians typically are represented as sexless. This Mm -hmm. idea that this girl who is so... She's not comfortable with her body. She's not comfortable thinking about sexuality. You know, she's got very romantic notions and very idealistic points of view. To me, that was a, a thing that carried over from the book without being very explicit about it, where she is finally making a decision that she is going to engage with this boy because she has romantic feelings for him and it's not him saying like you come to me (laughs) no i agree it's positive that she's the agent in that scene and i also think that one of the reasons why i'm grateful for that in the film version is because it makes her sense of betrayal i think more important she's mad about a lot of things in the book whereas in the film she's mad specifically about his betrayal Mm -hmm. in that scene and i think that is actually it's the one moment that I would say is more effective for me in the film than in the in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we agree to disagree on the stronger source material. But I think for some of the same reasons. <laughs> I was going to say I didn't agree to anything, Joe. <laughs> Gosh, you're just, you're so disagreeable. <laughs> so my YA bingo for this one. Bingo! 
not a good bingo. So my YA bingo for this one is Dead Mom, for sure, and uh, Love Triangle, obviously. Yes, yeah. Mine is slutty secondary character. Nice, yes. And this is a long bingo text box. (laughs) Significant events at holiday junctions. (laughs) Feel free to help me edit that down to something. No, I'm going to make you live with significant events at holiday junctions. I would have said school trips, Joe. School trips. <laughs> well, I'm thinking, you know, in the book, it's there's the the significant Christmas party oh, encounter. I see what you mean. But just, okay. yeah, like how... Holiday is these... set piece. Yes, thank you. This, <laughs> this is why I count on you. <laughs> Happy lifting. You're doing it all. <laughs> No, but it's true. That is a very YA trope to have like the most emotional, important emotional scene happening at Christmas. Okay. We have run long, so we should probably sign off for this chapter. So Brenna, where can people find you on the internet? I am at Brenna C. Gray, Gray with an A, on Twitter. And I am at B. Stole My Remote. That's the letter B, Stole My Remote. And of course, if you want to engage with the show, you can always reach us by using the hashtag HKHSPod. And one thing that we need to keep remembering to do is, if you like the show, obviously we would like you to give us a review or give us a starred rating so that other people can find it. Helps the show, helps us. And yeah, I think that's it for this week. Sounds good. Next week, it's Before I Fall. Yes, that is by Lauren Oliver from 2010. And then the film came out in 2017, and it's by Rye Russo Young. And I'm excited because this has been on my to-be-read list probably since it came out. So I'm finally reading it. Yay. And I am cautious because I've already begun reading it and I hated all of the characters for the first 80 pages. Yay! Yay! On that note... Yeah, so look (laughs) forward to that. (laughs) All right, so I guess until next time... I'll see you on the page. And I'll see you on the screen.